Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Philemon, chapter 1 and verse 20 for our message from the Word of God this morning. That'll be on page 1286 if you're using the Pew Bible and just learning the order of the New Testament books. Today's date is September 16th, 2018, Picnic Sunday here at Faith Bible Church. So if you're watching by way of video or listening to our recording, don't you wish you were here today? <laughs> Today's text is going to be in Philemon 1, verses 20 and 21. And the title of this morning's message is Apostolic Refreshment. Apostolic Refreshment. And speaking of refreshments, we begin with a story about a Coca-Cola salesman who went to Israel to promote sales of Coca-Cola. And failed miserably. <laughs> so miserably that the company had to recall him. When he got back, his boss asked him, what went wrong? And he said, well, when I got there, I designed a poster with three pictures on it. The first picture showed a thirsty man who had collapsed in the hot desert and was laying on the sand. The second picture showed the same man drinking a Coca-Cola. And the third picture showed him looking totally refreshed. And his boss said, well, that sounds great. That, that should have worked. And the salesman said, yeah, but I forgot one thing. People in Israel read from right to left. <laughs> See, now you know that's true, because you know that's how the original Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and you know that. A lot of people probably wouldn't get that joke. Well, as we return to our study of Philemon, I remind you that the reason Paul wrote this epistle was to ask Philemon to be merciful to his slave Onesimus, who had run away from Philemon, met the apostle Paul, and got saved. And now Paul was returning him to his master as the laws of the Roman Empire required. And as Paul brings this epistle to a close, he tells Philemon that if he would do that, if he would receive Onesimus graciously, that it would refresh the Apostle Paul. 
I direct your attention to Philemon 1 and verse 20, where he says those very words to Philemon. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh me, refresh my bowels in the Lord. Now, before we talk about that word refresh there, Notice that the verse begins with the word, yea. Now, don't overlook that word in your hurry to get to the rest of the verse. Every word of God is important. And how often have we seen that the little words are oftentimes the most important? When a Bible writer used that word, yay, after saying something, it meant he was really pouring it on. As you see, when the psalmist said, in your first cross-reference, in Psalm 7 and verse 5, these words, Let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him lay my honor in the dust. Do you see how he says, let my enemy take my soul, let him kill me. And then he says, yea, let him really pour it on and destroy my honor, ruin my reputation as well. So you see how that word yay means to really pour it on. You see it again in your next reference in Psalm 68 and verse 3, where the psalmist says, Let the righteous rejoice, yay, let them exceedingly rejoice. The psalmist wanted God's people to rejoice and, and to really pour it on. And and rejoice exceedingly. So, when Paul uses the word yea in our text to start this verse, we have to back up to the previous verse to find out what he's been saying, to find out how he's really pouring it on in this verse. Look at the end of verse 19 where he says to Philemon, Thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. He was telling Philemon, the reason you should do what I ask and be gracious to Onesimus is because I'm asking you to and you owe me. You owe me your very self. We talked about what that meant. It meant Paul had led him to the Lord and saved his eternal life. And then, after saying to Philemon, you owe me big time, Paul really pours it on in our text and says, yay, don't you want to make me joyful? Now he's gone beyond saying, don't you want to pay your debt to me by doing what I ask? Two, don't you want to let me have joy 
by doing what I ask. And the reason that that's significant and the reason you should care about that is because the book of Philemon is a book of illustrations, as we've been saying. And here it is illustrating how you should feel about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one you owe your very self to, your eternal life. And you should do what he asks you to do because of it. But not just because you owe him your life, but also because you want to bring him joy and let him have joy of you. Paul's moving the illustration from how you feel about paying your debt to him to how the Lord feels when he sees you doing it, when he sees you obeying him. Listen, when the Lord sees you obeying him, he doesn't think to himself, well, it's about time he started paying me back a little for all that I've given him with eternal life. No! It, when he sees you obeying him, it just brings joy to him. But, as you may know, obeying the Lord has two parts, right? First, you have to not do what the Lord says not to do. Because when you do those things, you bring him grief, right? That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4 and verse 30, in your next reference, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Do you know how do you, do you know how you grieve a Holy Spirit? By doing unholy things, right? When you do the unholy, sinful things that he says not to do, it grieves him. But now, the other part of obeying the Lord is you have to do the things he says to do, right? When you do, Paul says it lets him have joy. Did you know the joy is the opposite of grief and grieving someone? If you don't believe me, go home, put your computer on and Right-click on the word grieve, and then uh, left-click on antonyms, and it'll say joy. Or if you're a caveman like me, look it up in the dictionary. <laughs> yeah, the opposite of joy is grief. The opposite of grief is joy. And you don't want to grieve the Lord by sinning, but you want to let him have joy of you by obeying, don't you? If you don't, do both. You're only serving the Lord halfway. Did you ever see those commercials for the allergy medicine Flonase? They show a, a lawn that's been halfway mown. Shake your head if you've seen that and let me know. Nobody's seen that. Okay, a few of you have. They show a dog that's been groomed halfway. <laughs> or my favorite is the dog sitting in the half-finished doghouse. I mean... If I had a dog, that's what probably what he'd be sitting in. <laughs> but 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 the announcer's tagline is, 
You wouldn't accept an incomplete job from anybody else, so why accept it from your allergy medicine? Flonase relieves all of your allergy symptoms, and I don't know if it does or not. But listen, as a Christian, do you expect the Lord to accept your halfway finished service? When you go to work, is your boss satisfied that you don't do the things he says not to do? <laughs> or does he also expect you to do the things you, he says to do? Because if he's just satisfied with you not doing what he says not to do, can I ask if he's hiring? Because <laughs> that sounds like a pretty easy place to work if all you got to do is not do what he says not to do and you don't have to do anything else. There's an old Christian saying that says, we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't run with them that do. How many of you have heard that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but listen, some of the people who say that don't do anything else either. And you want, you don't want to grieve the Lord by sinning, but you do want to let Him have joy of you by obeying Him, right? And listen, the Apostle Paul in this book of illustrations, he is a great illustration of Christ in this because every time Paul tells you what gives him joy, it's always when God's people did what God said to do. Look at your next remember, reference. Remember when uh, uh, Paul said to the Philippians who were quarreling with one another, in Philippians 2.2, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and of one mind. You know what that means? That means if they refused to be like-minded, it would rob Paul of joy, wouldn't it? And... Think about all the things that Paul went through that didn't rob him of joy when you think of that. He was in prison when he wrote that. But as we saw in our scripture reading this morning in Philippians 1, being in prison didn't rob his joy, did it? Because he saw God use his imprisonment to, to, to get the gospel to Caesar's household and then to use that influence to get it out to all other places in the Roman Empire. Even the thought of dying didn't rob Paul's joy, did it? Because he knew to depart and be with Christ was what? Far better. It was only if God's people wouldn't forgive each other, wouldn't receive each other graciously, that Paul would be robbed of his joy. Because he knew no spiritual good could come from that, like the spiritual good that came from his imprisonment. And don't forget who was asking the Philippians to fulfill his joy. It was the apostle who gave them joy when he led them to the Lord. And here, listen now, 
It was the apostle who was living to bring them more joy. So what do you mean by that? Well, if you weren't here for our scripture reading, I gave you a part of it in Philippians 1, verses 23 to 25. Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, he says, I shall abide and continue with you for what? For your joy. Now listen, I got to make one thing clear. When Paul said he, he couldn't decide if he wanted to live or die, He wasn't thinking of killing himself. He wasn't thinking of taking his life. The only reason he was still alive was because he was smart enough to know how to answer Nero, the emperor's questions, when he got interrogated. But you know what? He was also smart enough to know how to push the emperor's buttons and get himself executed if he wanted to. All he would have had to do is tie him up in logical knots and make him look like a fool in front of his court. Man, he'd be, let's just say he'd be sporting a haircut shorter than Steve's because they'd have cut his hair off at the neck. Right? The only reason that he didn't do that in spite of his desire to depart and be with Christ, was to let the Philippians have joy. The joy of his continued ministry among them. So that means when he asked them to fulfill his joy by being like-minded, he was saying, I'm living for your joy. Can't you live for mine? By obeying the Lord? Now, apply all of that to what Paul's saying to Philemon here. It was the apostle who brought Philemon joy when he led him to the Lord, who's now asking him to give him joy by forgiving Onesimus. And it was the apostle who was living for Philemon's further joy, just like he was living for the joy of the Philippians, who was asking him to let him have joy of him. And the reason that's significant, and the reason you should care about that, is because that is an illustration of how Christ not only died to bring you joy, he continues to live to bring you joy, doesn't he? If you don't, if you're not sure about that, look what God says to the Hebrews in Hebrews 7.25. Speaking of Christ, He ever liveth to make intercession for them, Hebrews. And then look what He says to us in Romans 8.34. Christ also maketh intercession for us. That's the one who's asking you to let Him have joy of you. The one who's living to bring you more joy for your furtherance and joy of faith, as Paul said to the Philippians. 
And we're seeing that illustrated here in this precious book of illustrations. If you want to bring the Lord joy, say amen. Amen. I figured I'd wake you up with that one. Now, though, in verse 20, when Paul says that Philemon could refresh his bowels if he did that, that's an expression that he used back in verse 7 in your Bible. Back up in verse 7, when he says to Philemon, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, Philemon, because the bowels of the saints in the church in Colossae where Philemon was, the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Now, when Paul says that the bowels of the saints were refreshed by Philemon, I think he's talking about how Philemon fed their bowels. <laughs> that word bowels there is used like it is in your next reference in Ezekiel 3.3 3, where God said to Ezekiel, eat, fill thy bowels with this roll. Gave him a dinner roll. Says here, fill your bowels with that. And we mentioned before that you can't always trust history, but history says that the city of Colossae where Philemon lived was hit by a massive earthquake just before Paul wrote this epistle. The kind of earthquake that would put people out of work while they had to go home and rebuild their homes and rebuild their businesses. When that happened, Philemon refreshed their bowels by feeding their bowels with food. We saw evidence that Philemon was probably a wealthy man, and so he could probably afford to feed the bowels of everybody in his church. But when Paul says in our text there in verse 20 that Philemon could refresh his bowels by being gracious to Onesimus, that word bowels in this context means his heart like it did in Jeremiah 4.19, where Jeremiah says, My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very bowels. Is that what yours says? No, I'm pained at my heart. He says it again in Lamentations 1 and verse 20, My bowels are troubled. Mine heart is turned within, within me. So, Paul was saying to Philemon that he could refresh his Hard if he obeyed him. And listen, that illustrates how the Lord's heart is refreshed when we obey him. Do you ever wonder about this verse in Exodus 31, 17? This is one of those head scratchers if you, when you first read it, isn't it? In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. (laughs) So wait a minute here. Did God need to rest after creating everything? Did he need refreshment? The verse says he did. But here's the thing. That word rest can just mean stop working. (laughs) 
And so that, that word's not a problem. But it's that word refresh that we're talking about there. Refresh means you lost something that you gotta restore, refresh, right? Now God didn't lose any strength when He created the universe. <laughs> but I think His heart needed refreshing. He didn't have to refresh His strength. It wasn't diminished at all. But His heart was. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Folks, I think that verse is one of the many proofs we have in the Bible that after God created heaven and earth in Genesis 1-1, Satan fell and plunged the world into the darkness. You read about in verse 2 where darkness is on the face of the deep. But when God made the new creation that he described in Genesis 1 and 2, it refreshed him. It refreshed his heart. It restored the joy that he lost when his old creation fell. That's what that verse is talking about. He felt refreshed in his spirit after that. And I think that's how Paul's using the word here. When you get saved, it refreshes the Lord. Because now you're in Christ. And, and what does Paul say about being in Christ in your next reference? Second Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creature. The Lord finds that very refreshing. Just like he found the, the, the new creature in Genesis 1 and 2 to be very refreshing. But here's the thing. When you don't act like a new creation, if you don't act like a new creature, it grieves the Lord at his heart. Then when you obey him, it refreshes him again. He's refreshed. And you're seeing that illustrated with this epistle to Philemon. Now, as Paul draws the epistle to a close, we see that he was pretty sure that Philemon would do what he asked and receive his runaway slave graciously. Look at verse 21 in your Bible now where Paul says, having confidence in thy obedience I wrote unto thee. I wouldn't have bothered to write unto you if I didn't think you were going to do this, he says. Having confidence in thy obedience I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. And the thing that makes this verse so very precious, folks, is remember, the reason Paul was asking Philemon to be gracious to Onesimus was because God had been gracious to him and then called on him to be gracious to other people, including runaway slaves. Isn't that what we say Christianity is all about? You treating God the way he's treated? You treating other people the way God's treated you? Sure. So here, Paul was saying that he was confident that God's grace would work in Philemon's life. And that's an illustration, folks, of how the Lord feels about you this morning. He is confident that His grace will make you do the right thing. Now, men aren't always confident of that, even Christian men. A lot of Christian men say, 
You can't tell people they're saved by grace and they could never be lost. If you do, they'll do the wrong thing and continue to live in sin. But the Lord is confident of the opposite. The Lord is confident that His grace will make you do the right thing. I don't care if you're what Pastor Kirkwood used to call the worst sad sack in the body of Christ. Remember that, Steve? <laughs> I had to look that one up. Oh, the only sad sack I knew was the comic strip, you know? Remember that one? A sad sack is, is a blundering, inept person. Look what uh, Paul said to the sad sack Corinthians. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians 2, 3, he says, I wrote this same unto you, having confidence in you all, not just some of the Corinthians, all of them, that my joy is the joy of you all. Paul was confident that even the Corinthians would obey him, that, that his joy would be their joy. And that grace would make them stop all that carnality that they were living in. And start living like the Lord wanted them to live. And listen, he wasn't just confident that they'd obey him in a few things. Look at your next reference. In 2 Corinthians 7.16, he says, I have confidence in you carnal Corinthians in all things. And he didn't have a, 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 a shaky confidence in them either. In your next reference, in 2 Corinthians uh, 8.22, he talks about the great confidence which I have in you. And all of that just amplifies Paul's illustration here. If you're saved this morning and you're living in that kind of carnality that the, that the Corinthians were famous for, fornication, drunkenness, envy, taking each other to court... God is confident this morning that His grace will make you stop doing all that stuff. God is confident you'll stop in all the areas of your life where you're being carnal. He has great confidence, as you see illustrated with Paul, that you'll obey Him in all areas. That's how the Lord feels about you this morning. Now, if you don't feel that way. <laughs> if you don't have confidence that God's grace can make you stop all your carnality, may I suggest to you it's only because you haven't studied God's grace enough. You need to be here on Wednesday night when Steve's pounding forth the grace of God. You need to be here in Sunday school and as many Sundays as you can make. You know who else Paul had confidence in? Look at your next reference in Galatians 5 and verse 10. He told the Galatians, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. Now you know the Bible well enough to know that the Galatians had the opposite problem. They weren't carnal like the Corinthians. They were too highfalutin religious and self-righteous, right? putting themselves under the law of Moses that Paul says we're not under. If that's your problem this morning, if, if you think you have to keep the Sabbath, keep the diet laws of Leviticus 11, keep all the rest of the law, God is confident that His grace can straighten you out too. Just like He was confident in the Galatians. 
You say, well, all right, Pastor, how confident is God that uh, we'll stop all our carnality and all our religious religious oddity? Religious... Religiousness. There you go. (laughs) Well, look at your text in verse 21. Paul says that he knew Philemon would not only obey him, he knew Philemon would do more than he said. Now here we gotta, we gotta pause and ask, what might that mean? I mean, Paul's been asking him to be, first of all, merciful to Onesimus and not, not overly punish him like the law said he could the Roman law said he could execute him if he wanted then as we saw he develops in this epistle that Philemon should go beyond being merciful to Onesimus and receive him graciously receive him like he'd receive Christ himself well I got a question how much more than that could he have done Well, for one thing, he could have set him free, right, as a slave. Or he could have sent him back to Paul, to minister to Paul in his absence. Remember, Paul talked about that. You know, when I led him to the Lord, I thought about keeping him here to to minister to my needs since you're not here to do it. (laughs) Whatever Paul is hinting at here, it's an illustration of the confidence that God has in you this morning. God is not only confident that you won't abuse His grace. He's confident that you'll do more under grace than what He said to do under the law. Under the law, what did He say in Exodus 23-2? He said, Thou shalt not do evil. Well, that's pretty clear. But under grace, what does he say in Philip in uh, your next reference in 1 Thessalonians 5.22? Abstain from all appearance of evil. Is that doing more than what he asked under the law? I think so. Under the law, God commanded in Deuteronomy 12.11, bring all that I command you. Your sacrifices... And your tithes, 10% of your income, and your livestock and stuff. Is that what the Macedonians did in your next reference? In 2 Corinthians 8.1, Paul says, We do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia to their power and beyond their power. They were willing that we should receive the gift. And this they did, not as we hoped, not as we asked, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. They gave more than than the tithe. They gave more than 10%. They gave till it hurt. I know what people, religious people say, you can't tell people they don't have to tithe because if you do, they won't give anything. The Macedonians gave more than they asked under the, under the law. And then, at, look at that verse again. As they did, they did something else beyond what the law said. The law commanded the Jews to bring sacrifices. Didn't we see it? I know you turned your page, but look at that last verse on the bottom of uh, page one there. 
Deuteronomy 12, 11, bring all that I command you. Bring your sacrifices and your tithes. Well, the Macedonians didn't bring any animal sacrifices, did they? It says they first gave their own selves to the Lord. Is that doing more than what God asked under the law? Is, is presenting your life a living sacrifice, is that more than bringing some old animal sacrifice? I think it is. The law said not to eat meat offered to idols, right? Exodus 34.15 Lest the inhabitants of the land do sacrifice to their gods and one of them calls you, invites you to the feast and you eat of his sacrifice. They weren't supposed to eat meat offered to idols. What Paul say about that under grace? 1 Corinthians 10.27 and 28 If any of them bid you, they call you and say, hey, come to the feast and you feel like going, you'll be disposed to go. Whatever is set before you eat, asking no questions. But if any man say unto you, well, uh, this is uh, offered in sacrificed idols, don't eat it. Don't eat it, he says, for his sake. Paul says you can eat idol meat under grace if you want to. But he's confident you'll do more than he says and not eat it in front of a weaker brother who doesn't know you can eat it. In other words, even though you have the right to eat it, he says, I know you won't do it when it's going to offend somebody. I'd say that's doing much more than what they said under the law, because you know you can do it if you want. Even the Lord Jesus Christ started to introduce this idea of New Testament grace to the Jews in Matthew 5.21 when he said, you have heard, thou shalt not kill. Where'd they hear that? <laughs> it was in the Ten Commandments, right? And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother, not short of killing him, you just get angry with him without a cause, he'll be in danger of the judgment. Is that doing more than God asked under the law? Under the law, he says, don't kill him. Under New Testament grace, he said, don't even hate him. The Lord went on to say in Matthew 5.27, You have heard, thou shalt not commit adultery. Where did they hear that? Ten Commandments. And but he says, but then he says, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Is that doing more than the law said? Sure. How many of you think it's a good idea, good idea not to be angry with someone without a cause? How many of you think it's a good idea not to lust after someone? Do you ever wonder why you think that way? Why you think that's a good idea? It's because your heart has been touched by the grace of God. And you want to do more than God said to do under the law. When people, we don't get too many of these requests anymore, but when people used to ask us to rent the church, we, we would never tell them, alright, you owe us, you know, 100, 200, 300. We would just say, put some money in the offering box. And you know what? Usually what they put in the offering box was more than what we would have charged them. When I do weddings and funerals, I don't charge anything, especially for our people here at the church. 
but people often give me more than I would have charged. When I did the funeral for that lady in Minnesota last year, was it? She gave me $900. I about fell on the funeral home floor. Now, I had to give it to Berean Bible Society because I knew her through BBS and ministered to her. I'd call her uh, every week on my way home from BBS. I, I was still on the clock while I'm driving. And uh, so the money rightfully belonged to their ministry. But listen, what could make a lady want to give that much? Well, it's the grace of God. It's because grace puts you on the spot and forces you to evaluate what you've been given by His grace. And it forces you to decide what it's worth to you. And God knows that if you'll do that, if you'll evaluate all that He's done for you, well, you'll do more than He ever asked under the law. Coming to church on Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday school, it's dangerous, folks. You may find yourself going, living like you never thought you would. And that's a good thing. Does it always work? Well, the Corinthians are proof of that. No! You probably know Christians who abuse the grace of God. But God is confident that you won't. God is confident that you'll you'll go above and beyond the call of duty, as they say, and do more than, than he could ask or think. Because that's what he's done for you, according to your last reference, right? Now unto him, in Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Beloved, if you could live a thousand years, you would never have thought of the plan of salvation that God thought of. To have His Son come, become a man and die for you. And you know what? If you will, if, even if you could have thought it, would you have had the nerve to ask the Lord to come and die for you? He did more than you could ask or think when He saved you. And then for Him to promise you can't lose that salvation and you're gonna reign with Christ over the angels in eternity. Think about that. And then decide if you want to do more than God asks you to do. And bring joy to the Savior who died to give you joy and lives for your furtherance of joy. And if you're not saved and you want in on all that, God says all you got to do is believe that it's true. That He thought of a plan of salvation that includes... His Son paying for your sins. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this epistle to Philemon and, and all that it means to 
us as we look at it in the eyes of faith, as we as we look at it with the eyes of reviewing all that he taught us in his epistles. We pray, Father, that this, these illustrations might be, might enrich our understanding of the doctrines. And Lord, now as we depart from this place and go to the, to the picnic area where we'll just rejoice in the oneness that we have in Christ. We have so many differences in politics and in uh, financial differences and we, where we live and, and so many things divide us. We have such a precious thing to join us. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless our fellowship around it. Bless the food that we'll partake of. And we pray it in the Savior's name. Amen.